A reading from Proverbs 31. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we uh, thank you for your scripture, and we thank you uh, that you've given to us that we can know you and understand how uh, to live with you and for you in this world, and I pray that as we talk about it today, Lord, you might help us to understand it rightly and uh, handle it correctly, Lord, rightly divide your word, but speak to our hearts, Lord, and help us to understand what we might take from it today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we're doing the, you know, the final climactic passage of the book of Proverbs, where it kind of closes in this second half of Proverbs 31, the famous passage, the people have heard the Proverbs 31 woman, woman of valor, the woman of noble character. Actually, on, just on Friday, Kelly saw this uh, tweet, which I thought was great. Um, has anyone stopped to think that maybe the Proverbs 31 woman had ADD, <laughs> ADHD, I'm sorry, you know, it's uh, that's pretty funny. See, because uh, it's quite the, um, that's really a very diligent portrayal in Proverbs 31. I've also heard it called the uh, mother-in-law from hell passage. <laughs> because if you remember, you know, if, if Proverbs 30, all of 31, now whether it's all of 31, but certainly the start of 31, it's, you know, it's King Lemuel's things. And remember, it's his advice he got, advice he got from his mom. So if this is advice he got from his mom, it's sort of like, you know, this is the kind of woman you should marry. You know, this is what a good wife is. Your wife, she's nice, nice, but, you know, just saying, just saying, this would be a good one, you know? And I don't think that's what's going on here, you know? And then certainly not with the accent, at least. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So is this like, is this how Proverbs ends with an exhortation as to what a wife's supposed to be like? Is this really the climactic thing of summing up all of Proverbs? No. But we want to talk about what, what, is it, what, what is the point of that? 
you know? Um, you know, what, 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 what's that passage about? Because it's exhortation, not, obviously, not just to wives, but to all of us. And in what way is this passage summing up the book of Proverbs? Because I think it is a climactic passage, which is pulling together, really, the entire book of Proverbs and landing it in this, what is really an ideal way of the, here, of, of a, here, a wife. So why, why that? So um, we're, we're finishing today, our, oh, my goodness, sorry, new, new tech. Uh, finishing our series, The Wise Life, How to Live a Life of Wisdom from the Book of Proverbs, and we're closing in on this passage, climactic passage. And so we're going to talk, firstly, a little, might be a little bit boring, but I think it's important as we, to handle scriptures right. What's going on here? What sense is it prescriptive for genders or not? And, and those kind of bigger questions, because there's a lot of stuff happening here, and I think it's good to kind of be grounded with that. And then talk about what are the exhortations in the passage, what's really happening in this passage, and lastly, how does it apply to us? How does each one of us take something and, and I think really importantly walk home with what we see today? So Proverbs 31, the woman of valor or the noble woman of normal char- noble character. So first question, right, is this prescriptive? Meaning, is this prescribing what is supposed to be, what a, what a wife is supposed to be like, right? In short, uh, well, you can't say in short because yes, but know that it's, distinctly a wife. It's what all of us should be like if you're a wife, if you're not, if you're single, <laughs> this, if you're a man. It's, it's applying to all of us. It's an idealized version. Essentially, it is the personification of wisdom. It's pulling up all of Proverbs and putting it out in the context of, you know, a wife in an agricultural society of, of a leader of a group of people, you know, 2,500 years ago. So it's being placed in that. And it shouldn't surprise us, right, because all of Proverbs, right, is advice from uh, a father to a son, right? That's the whole context of Proverbs as to how to, to be. And if you remember, we talked about Proverbs 1 to 9, that whole beginning section. Do you remember the, the two pathways are being laid out before, uh, before the young man? And they're being pictured as two women, right? The lady of folly, uh, the adulterous woman, and a lady wisdom, who is God, who is the path of righteousness, the holiness. And it's kind of the whole thing's being laid out like this choice between it. You know, um, and so there's the path of life and the path of death, the path of blessing, the path of folly. But it's being laid out like that. So it's not a surprising thing that you come to the end of Proverbs, and again, it's being idealized in a woman at the end of Proverbs. Not a surprise. And if you may be, and there's probably people here who are cynical. Probably a lot of people don't even, I don't even care what I'm saying right now anyway. But for those who are particularly cynical and you think, well, prove that a little bit, that this is an idealized version, not just a wife. Listen, it's a couple things to consider. When the passage begins, look at the very first thing, right? A wife of noble character who can find she's worth more than rubies, far more than rubies, right? That's almost like a complete ringer for earlier when it talks about wisdom in Proverbs, right? Wisdom is more precious than rubies. What happened? Is this still up there? Did you take this away from me, um, Kim? I want power. <laughs> right. But this is really the truth. I'm powerless up here, and everyone can take it away. And this is, let's just talk about life, all right? Your power's an illusion, okay? It's an illusion. No, let's just go back. All right, bang. It's gone again? See? Power is an illusion. Right? We need to be humble and realize we have no power. In any case, I will, uh, if we don't have it, we'll just, well, we're back up? Okay, but I'm not back here. All right. 
All right. So wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth more than rubies. Wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. So you see right now she's being likened to wisdom in the same way, you know, she is of greater worth than anything, in the same way wisdom is, because she is, again, the personification of wisdom. Um, off again? No. Not on, I'm off, but it's not. I'm sorry. And uh, even, I'm just going to keep going, and we're, even this language, like a husband has full confidence in her, the translation chucks you a little bit. Uh, ESV handles it much more accurately to what the Hebrew says. The heart has trust. And the trust in the heart, if you're in, if you're in the book of Proverbs, you're like, oh, gosh, a heart that trusts. Yeah, I get that one, one of those famous verses. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. He's trusting in his wife with her heart like the way he trusts in the Lord. So I'm just saying the language is so, at the top, it's clearly talking about wisdom, about God, about your faith in general. But it's being placed in the context of, you know, being played out like in a story form. I hope I've made that argument. Um, if you don't believe that, that's okay. You can have your own. That's how I, that's how I come at it. Um, another thing to realize about the passage, too, that I think, again, this is going to seem kind of academic and irrelevant, but I think it's not, as you handle the Bible, is, is this is a poem, right? It's an, acros it's an acrostic, meaning it's exactly the number of verses that are the number of the Hebrew alphabet. And each verse goes, you know, first verse starts with Aleph, second one with Bet, third with Gimel, fourth with Dalit, Hey, like that. It goes all the way down it. And to every, you know, like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, the entire alphabet, you know. It's sort of like, you know, A to Z of wisdom, if you want to call it that. And, and also it's a chiastic structure. If you know chiastic structures, they go up and they go down. And so therefore, like verses here and here link and link and link and link. And so it, it, probably when you heard it, you go, oh, that sounds repetitious. Right, it does do that. You may think, well, so what? That's a neat thought. It's actually important as you go to interpret it is that you realize that the exact words chosen are often chosen for what? For poetic purposes, not necessarily for meaning purpose. People trip out oftentimes in the scripture getting so specific about the meaning of a particular word, and you don't realize there's oftentimes a lot of liter literary considerations. You may think, well, so what? Well, think about if you're listening to a limerick or someone's giving you a rhyme, or you're listening to a song that has rhyme, you naturally realize that the person chose the word, it was kind of meaning, but it, it was actually, it had the right number of syllables, or it rhymed, and so don't be so serious about the word, be more serious about the idea behind the word. And it's just good when you read the scripture to realize that's what's happening. And this, and this particular thing where you're dealing with a, both an acrostic, <laughs> where they're choosing letters, and a chiasm, there's a lot of things they're trying to do. So don't, all I have to say is don't get so tripped out sometimes and take one little word. People do it sometimes in the Bible, right? They trip out on one little word and they take it super far. Don't do that. Get the larger idea behind it. So you might think, again, so what? But I, I think it's important. Um, so getting to the passage. A wife of noble character who can find. That word there literally is strength. A woman of strength. That's one of the, you know, typically a woman of valor. In some ways, it's a more accurate way of singing, talking about it. And in many ways, it, it, it does like strength. seems kind of strange to think about it. But many folks see this is almost like a victory poem. The kind of thing like a great warrior comes back from victory. It's almost in that form. But it's, like the, it's the, you know, almost like a triumphant wife here in life is being laid out. But strength is a wonderful word in some ways. Right? You think about what does it mean to be a person of strength? You know, this is not, I mean, when I'm saying that, we're not saying, oh, well, that person has a strong personality or a strong opinion, or they speak strongly. 
about? We're talking about a person. Do you ever have time with people that are just rocks? The kind of person you want, you know, if it's a family member, if it's someone you work with, when the hard things in life happen, when life throws a bunch at you, they are just steady. They are unflustered, they do not fall, and they stand. That is strength. And that's what it's talking about. And it said, this person of strength. And I, so more noble character is a fine translation, right? It's actually trying to think a person of character and strength. And then it goes on to describe it. You know, obviously the person has full, her, the heart trusts in this person. And again, this is the value of wisdom, right? It's drawing up, what is the purpose of Proverbs? What's the purpose of the wise life? And one of the key things, when you are walking as a person of wisdom, you are a person of strength who can be trusted in by others. Um, and then it, when it goes over the different things uh, she does. And here, diligence is a huge part. You know, that you see this kind of diligent work walking through her because she gets up while it's still night. She provides for the, her family, provides for her, ma- her female servants. And again, servants is that people lived in huge households there. You know, sometimes we, you know, we always think about little nuclear family things. People lived in giant households. So she got up at the, <laughs> while it's still dark, making sure that her family, her servants, that everyone has what they need. And this is a key idea in Proverbs, right? It's not always, we think about, we take Proverbs and make it into personal ethics. And so much of Proverbs is about the blessing of the community and how much an individual's action can have impact on a community. And this one person's faithfulness provides for this whole community and makes sure that they have what they need. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings. She plants a vineyard. Again, for the community, she has that, and she makes sure this field right here is flourishing with fruit for the whole community to be blessed and her whole family and servants to be blessed as a result of that. Um, uh, out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She, wor- I mean, uh, she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong to her tasks. She sees her trading is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. You know, a trader. That, by, by the way, this is very business positive too, isn't it? I mean, it sees what is sometimes the business. The, the we, um, we we lose it sometimes. The the why even like business and ambition in those senses can be really positive things because they can really bring to a flourishing of a community. The whole community is being blessed and enabled because of the you know, business sechel, the, the wisdom of this, uh, uh, of this woman here. You know, <laughs> some, people say, you know some, some people even said Proverbs 31, like, you know, idealizes a stay-at-home uh, wife. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but again, I don't think it's trying to be prescriptive about a wife anyway, necessarily, but everybody. But certainly that's a, one ridiculous idea. Um, but as it's summing up Proverbs, Proverbs talks a lot about the importance of diligence and how much laziness and idleness is actually almost a disease to the community, you know, and how much hard work is such a blessing to others and diligence and faithfulness with it. And, uh, and, and you know, let's face it, I think actually there's a funny thing happening today that hard work almost gets a bit of a bad rap sometimes. I don't know if you guys feel that way in a, in a strange way. And in some ways it's a good correction, right? People who have made work into an idol and you work all the time and have no rest and all you do is blast things away and many people said, my life is my vocation and they live for this thing and they work themselves till they totally explode to the neglect of their family and all like that. You're right. That's, you need a, a good work-life balance. You need rest to put it. I'm not arguing against any of that stuff. And, um, and you know, and, and, and your work is not your life and you should not make it an idol. But some ways we've gone almost the other side 
where people become like, you know, very entitled and not working at all. And it's almost like not even a high stake on hard work. And uh, Proverbs very much thinks the importance of diligence, not for your own glory, not for greed, but your diligence blesses others and blesses your community. And to think, and to think about she's kind of a workaholic type, what else does it say about her? She opens her arms to the poor. She extends her hands to the needy. You know, again, this is summing up a huge part of what Proverbs talks about. You know, the way you are to your community, and the way you care for others. And uh, we talked about this before. This is huge in the book of Proverbs. You know, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And there's a real aspect that if you are someone who loves God and cares about God, then you care for the needy naturally, and you watch out for them. And the idea is that she sums this up, and she brings it, you know, this is, this is the kind of person she is. This is what the wise life cares about the needy in your community, and in so doing, you honor God as you honor them. And it's not simply all this stuff you do. There's an idea that, you know, in the wise life, it's how you, you know, how you are seeing what's coming. And the, the, the life before you, you know, it's how you face it. There's an idea that when it snows, she has no fear her household, you know. She says all of them are clothed in scarlet. And it's funny, Daniel had a study, had a professor which said mistranslation actually means her, uh, they're, they're doubly clothed. But the idea, whatever you want to say it, they, they clearly from the context, they have what they need to make it through those days and she has no fear for it. It says she's clothed with strength and dignity and she can laugh at the days to come. And she speaks with wisdom and faithful instructions on her tongue. She's not live a life of fear, right? She lives a life of confidence. She can look at what's happening there and she knows, I will be able to make it through this. I don't worry about tomorrow. You know, and there's this way, this is what the wise life is, because I know the Lord is there and I can trust him. And wisdom, faithful, she is one who instructs others and draws others to put their fears aside, helps them to know how to live their lives. You know, it's one who takes that wisdom and passes that wisdom on to others. And it is ready on her tongue. And that's a big thing in Proverbs, right? When the person, the person, the wise person has wisdom coming from, forth from them, from the mouth and the tongue, a blessing to others, the words of life. You know, the, uh, those around her, her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. And there's this uh, sense in which the, again, those around, she is a strength to them. She is a source of wisdom to them. She draws them up. Wisdom, blessings come from her. She prepares for them and looks at them. So this is the, again, this is like wisdom summed up. Now you can take all this stuff and make the mistake in Proverbs of seeing it just as being, you know, be a good person or something like this. But Proverbs would always say there's, there's a place where all this stuff is pouring out of. Right? This is all built on a particular house. And that house is fear of the Lord. You know, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And then you're saying that this entire thing is all laying on this foundation of fear of the Lord. Right? What does it say in Proverbs, right? What is the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord is the this is where it all starts. This is the beginning of it. This is the foundation of it. And remember, fear. Fear of the Lord, I know we talk, you try to like, the, the word is actually somewhat instinctive. It's not being scared of the Lord. 
but there is a good proper thing. Like, what is it that drives your decisions? What are you most concerned about? You know, in some ways, you could say when you're married, you fear your spouse in the sense that you want to make sure, you, when, you, when you do something, you think about how, what are they gonna think? How are they gonna be okay with this? How is this gonna impact them? And it, by the saying you fear in the sense that they are on your mind and you are concerned about what happens there. You know, that's, that good, that's, a, that's the good fear. When you are in God's world, who is that you're worried about, you know, is thinking, what kind of, who are you living your life for? What are your ultimate considerations? That is the one, your fear of the Lord. You know, who's the, when you're walking, and that is what's always in my mind. When uh, temptation comes before me, that's in my mind. Am I going to honor God with what I say and do right now? That's what's going to be driving me. And it doesn't mean, it's not a, again, it's not a terror thing in the Bible. I mean, um, for instance, when you see fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it says knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, right? That's a parallel. So fear of the Lord there is defined as knowing. And remember, knowing is not knowledge about. Know is the same word, it's even used for marital union, right? It's an intimacy with God. Knowing God is really what fear of the Lord is. And look at Israel, right? This was the foundational thing. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve him with all of your heart and all of your soul. You know, that ultimately is that wise life, loving God, serving him with all of your heart and knowing him, living in fear of that, that covenant relationship before you do anything else in your life. How is that going to affect my relationship with God? And am I living that life he's called me to? And so if you sum up, really, when I'm talking about Proverbs 31 and this, you know, this, this, um, this wife, she is picturing what it means to be a woman who fears the Lord, who lives a life of wisdom before God. You know, I, I still love that verse, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting. A woman who fears the Lord, you know. I, I always think, hey, great, great dating advice, by the way, for single people. You know, it, it's nice to know that beauty isn't just a, an idol, a recent idolatry, right? It's been around the whole time. It says, listen, beauty, all that stuff, passing. What do you marry for? Character. Character, not, not beauty and charm, even deceptive, right? But again, I think this is not really marital advice in itself, but hey, you take it where it comes, right? So when we think about what this means for us and uh, you know, what, you, what you take from here, I mean, I think most of us listen to this thing and think, yeah, I mean, does anyone agree, disagree that that's a pretty wise life? That, that, that kind of, that diligence, that open hands, that not fearing the days to come, the wisdom on your tongue. I don't think any of us disagree with any of this, that that is the life we would want to have. But what kind of happens? I think there's a couple different wrong approaches or problematic approaches we have when we think about how this applies to us. I think in one sense, you look at it and go, gosh, this is idealized version, and there's just no way I can do that. That's just, you know, I can't do all that stuff. That's, that, that's a neat thought, I agree with it, but let's be, let's be serious, I can't really apply that. Or, and, and so you, you actually take all this stuff and don't really take it seriously. Or you have the other side where you just like, must try harder. Must be better. Be good person. Be better. You know, it sounds funny, but we're almost like that sometimes, aren't we? And you, you listen to this whole thing today, and it just knocks you into a little thing, and you've got to try harder. 
and somehow be better, and I really stink, and I'm going to be better. Now, you know, what's the fruit of that approach, by the way? Generally, of course, you're going to fail, and so you'll feel either condemned or even worse when you succeed. What's going to be the fruit of that? Godliness? No, you're going to feel real proud of yourself. Aren't I good? And you'll have judgment of others. Do you ever have that, like when you start to succeed at something, then you, look, then you start to look at everybody else and go, huh, they should do a little better. If they would just try harder, maybe they'd do better. That is not godliness, people. Right? Th- those are the two fruit of the try harder approach. Right? That is not, you know, there's a sense in which, there's, there's a grace idea in which he's setting out saying, this is the life of freedom. This is how we are made to be. This is the life of blessing. Don't believe the lies you're counting out. Don't believe, you know, this is, this is what we are striving towards by the grace of God. You know, and it's what we're calling other people to come and do. You know, it's not, it, it, if it makes you feel like this, you're not looking at it right. It's supposed to be words of life and words of freedom, which give joy to the heart, right? Which uh, are spurned out of a desire to love God with all of your heart and soul. But I will say something else going on that's helpful, though. Because don't you find it kind of odd? Or not odd, but you, you sit there and you look at this life and you think, yes, I agree that that is what I was made to be. This, that is the wise life. That's the life I was created to have. And you even agree with it, right? Do you find it odd that you just can't do it? Why can't you just do it? You think it's right, right? Just live like that. And you go, there's, now you start to go, what is unique? Because a lot of the stuff you could take on, all those ethics, so it's every religion, it's all, they all teach the same kind of thing. I'll tell you what's unique to the gospel. The gospel says something's not right in this world, that we are broken, that we, we somehow can't do the very thing we want to do. And furthermore, everyone in the world does not seem to be doing it either. That this world is not operating right, that it is broken. Right? That's a foundational idea we need to take into how we, how we not only live our life, but what's unique about the gospel and what's unique about this week, right? This is what we celebrate now, Holy Week. That the, uh, who is he? He's the, he's the personification of wisdom. The wise one, the king, came into our world. The word made flesh. Wisdom made flesh before us. And he came and came into Jerusalem. He came into this broken world. They waved and they praised and five days later, those cheers turned to jeers. You know, in the midst of their brokenness, the very author of life was nailed to a cross. But it wasn't an injustice because no one could force me. He says, no one took my life from me. I laid it down. I came into this world to redeem it. I came into this world to bring it back to that wise world that it's supposed to be. And through his death on the cross and his risen, resurrection from the dead, He created a way by which we can be forgiven, be cleansed, be empowered, and ultimately promised to be taken back to that place when the world is made right again. And now, rather than making it right immediately, he goes, he offers the word of pardon. He holds out his hand to us and says, come to me. Believe in me. That brokenness you feel, that frustration you feel that I can't be who I'm supposed to be, you're right. You can't be. There you will be able to be. We come to him, we receive forgiveness, and through his Holy Spirit, he goes, I'm going to let you enter into that life now, foreshadowing it, tasting it to what it ultimately will be when you're cleansed of this broken body, right? So in some ways, as we look at this, as we're being called in Proverbs 31 to this ideal life, 
It's, it's, it's not like we're being called as adults who can do it. We're being called as children, taking the hand of our dad next to us, or our mom. You know, Jesus taking our hand and going, come on, I'm going to teach you how to take and live in life again as you were meant to live. Get you out of that dirt and out of that muck and out of that stuff and come and live the life of blessing till ultimately I take you to that place. In some ways, we don't actually become adults in that sense ever in this world. You know, if we get up to early teenagerhood, we're in pretty good shape. You know, he's taking us to that, but that's what we do. And, and in the midst of that too, it's not just us taking his hand. We're looking around and calling everybody else too. Come, come, you kids are playing in the mud here. Come there, take my hand. Let's follow him. Know that cleansing and know that freedom. Ultimately, when I look at Proverbs and look at that thing, that is what it's calling us to. It's calling us to life. It's calling us to blessing. It's calling us to the path towards the one who came to, who loved us, who came to save us, and who in this holy week redeems us when we call on his name. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we praise you and thank you, Father. Oh, Lord, you call us to know you and to love you. And Lord, you've, we love you because you loved us first. We desire to serve you for you laid down your life and served us first. Oh, Lord, we are, uh, Lord, help us to fresh let the uh, gospel melt us. To be amazed at your grace and forgiveness for us that grace and mercy and forgiveness pour out towards those around us. Lord, let us fear you to desire to serve you with all of our hearts and all of our lives. And help us to live in that life of blessing you've laid out for us. Oh, Lord, we thank you and bless you. In the name of Jesus, I pray.